Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that uh, you would help us to give our utmost attention to your word. We ask that uh, you would open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts. Um, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so how should we respond when we are rejected for being a Christian or for trying to share the gospel with a non-Christian? Our nation is experiencing uh, a time of heightened tension and division, and the rhetoric uh, is becoming increasingly belligerent on all sides. And so how should we respond when that belligerence might be directed toward us because we are followers of Jesus Christ? Are we permitted to respond in kind, belligerence for belligerence? Well, our passage this morning uh, will give us some direction. Jesus was intending on traveling through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, but the Samaritans, uh, Samaritans would not receive him And so his disciples, in particular James and John, the brothers, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus rebuked them. Uh, So calling down vengeance upon those who reject us is not how we are to respond. So then how are we to respond? Well, I think unpacking this passage will give us some direction for how we are to respond. Uh, Verse 51 marks a major turning point in Jesus' earthly ministry. Previously, his ministry had been spent in the Galilean region, but now he has set his face towards Jerusalem. This does not mean that he made a beeline for Jerusalem, Uh, Rather, it means that his Galilean ministry is now over. And so Jesus is going to leave Galilee, and he's going to travel south to the Judean region, and he's going to stay in that area for the last eight months of his ministry. But when he says that he is setting his face towards Jerusalem, It not only means that he's traveling there, but there's a metaphorical sense in which he means it as well. Verse 51 starts by saying, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. In other words, Jesus is about to exit this world within the next several months. And because of that, he has set his face towards the cross. It's in Jerusalem that he is going to be crucified. And so the shadow of the cross is going to be cast over everything he does during this last eight months of ministry. Our Lord Jesus came here to this earth explicitly to die on the cross. So he set his face, it says here in verse 51, towards Jerusalem. I find this very encouraging because it illustrates for us how absolutely determined our Lord Jesus was to save us. He was single-minded in his mission to make us his own. And frankly, 
he continues in his determination to keep us for himself. He is dogged in his persistence in blessing us, in keeping us near to him, in bringing us to repentance when we stray. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never takes his eye off of us. We're going to learn about his eighth-month trip to Jerusalem over the next ten chapters of Luke. And like I said, it's, he, it's not a beeline. I think uh, my child will not mind me saying this. One of our children is more artistically minded than the, the rest. And so uh, she is starting here at point A, getting to point B, She will always get to point B, but it might be here, there, and everywhere else, and she'll get there. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says he set his face towards Jerusalem. He's going to stray over into Perea. He's going to, um, he's going to move to this city, that city. He's going to go to Jericho. He's going to go, but he's finally going to end up in Jerusalem, on that awful cross. We're also going to see over these next ten chapters that the opposition against him is going to sharpen with each step nearer to the cross. Satanic opposition was gathering against him, but he would not be deterred because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Most of the Jews who traveled between Galilee and Judah would travel along the Jordan River rather than going to Samaria or going through Samaria. Uh, Even if it caused them to go out of their way, they very purposely avoided Samaria. But Jesus, on the other hand, did not avoid Samaria. So a little short geography lesson might help us out here. And I'm going to use the sanctuary as a map. If the narthex... Uh, out beyond the doors, is the Galilean region. Um, Then the center aisle is the Jordan River, which I guess would imply that the pulpit area is the Dead Sea, which, (laughs) um, uh, and sometimes maybe it is, uh, with me being the preacher. But, um, so, Sea of Galilee, Galilean region, the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea. That means that the east side of of the sanctuary is the region of Samaria. You are all Samaritans for the next few minutes. Um, and then this front area of the church would be Judah and the the uh, Judean region. And I meant to bring the, the baptismal font up a little bit closer to the pulpit. Uh, because that would represent then Jerusalem. So instead of traveling down the center aisle, as most Jews would do, traveling from uh, Galilee to Judea, uh, Jesus came down right through the middle of Samaria, uh, right through the heart of the Samaritans. Now, This is going to cause a little problem for Jesus. And to understand that, let me give you a little short history lesson. Uh, Assyria invaded Israel in 722 B.C. 
And when they did, they carried off all the rich and the educated Israelites back to Assyria, which would mean that uh, they left you all, um, the, the poor and the least educated, uh, to farm the land. And uh, these Israelites that were left in Assyria uh, intermingled with the peoples around them. And so the Jews living in Judah and also the ones living in Galilee, they regarded the Samaritans as half-breeds and apostates. And the Jews, even in their daily prayers, prayed that the Samaritans would never, ever enter into eternal life. Um, The Samaritans, in return, found reasons to... um, to, to hate the Jews. The Jews hate them. They're going to hate the Jews, right? And so they regularly attacked the Jews who traveled from Galilee through Samaria uh, on their way to Jerusalem for the religious feast. Uh, Luke notes that this is the very reason why the Samaritans refused to receive Jesus. Look at verse 53. But the people, this is the people of Samaria, um, the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to worship the living God. We're not going to let him pass. We're not going to receive him. So, um, although both sides found reasons that made it sound appropriate to hate the others, you know, with all these religious Uh, reasons floating about, if you peel back the the veneer of legitimacy, you simply find the base sins of racism and hatred. Frankly, it's not unlike what's going on in our nation today. You know, we're able to point to cultural differences, political differences, generational differences, geographical differences, and, of course, historical differences to legitimize our racism and our hatred for our fellow citizens. But when you strip away all the veneer of legitimacy, there's nothing left but hatred for our fellow human beings who are made in the image of God. That being said, I do believe it is important to acknowledge that there are real experiences and real feelings that that lie behind the racial tensions and divisions in our nation. And frankly, there's a real history that lies behind these tensions and divisions. Slavery. The circumstances that persisted after slavery. Um, Even the bigotry that... Uh, was expressed in many churches, was very real and and very sinful. I grew up in a church, I remember going to Sunday school as a child and hear uh, racial jokes um, from the Sunday school teacher before he opened the class for prayer. I very distinctly remember that. Um, So the open wounds of that sin persist today. Uh, the College Hill area was the only area of the city of Tampa uh, where the city leaders would allow black-owned businesses to actually own businesses during the 1920s. And that open wound in College Hill has yet to be closed. It is common 
to hear people say that racism is deeply embedded in our society, therefore our society is unjust. I'm sure you've heard it. probably heard it in the last day or so. Statements like this do not go far enough. Racism is deeper than societal. Racism is deeply embedded in the human heart. It has been deeply rooted in the human soul ever since the fall of mankind. No society has ever been free from it. No race has ever been free from the sin of racism. It goes always whites towards blacks, blacks towards whites, blacks and whites towards Hispanics, and so on and so forth. Jews versus Samaritans. All people are created in the image of God. And so to despise um, another person for any reason, especially for the sense of, for the, for the color of their skin, is to be guilty of murdering someone in your heart. First um, John one nine and our uh, First John chapter two verse nine and eleven I think is appropriate. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, the scriptures are very clear. You know, I'm thinking that we could continue to deconstruct racism and even at a deeper level. Uh, it seems to me that racism, or the essence of racism, is the absence of love. And I'm still thinking through this idea. Um, I hope to put this, my thoughts into writing during the upcoming week. Um, but that, it was going to start as a little letter, and then um, it's almost up to a small book, I think, at this point. But I am prepared to say at this point, that um, racism is an outgrowth of self-concern and self-centeredness. Absence of love um, because of self-concern and self-centeredness at the heart. Do you know who are, who are experts at manipulating self-centeredness? Politicians are experts at, at manipulating self-centeredness. Our politicians are exacerbating the issues in our nation. They are pitting group against group. They're agitating for more divisions. Why would they do this? Because impassioned emotions drive people to the ballot box in November. I can remember in 2019 warning us that an election year was coming and that it was going to get crazy. Here we are. I remember a visiting pastor, uh, Donnie Fredrickson, said the same thing uh, last no November or December when he was visiting. And here we are. When we allow politicians to manipulate us by getting us agitated, we become part of the problem as well. We are easily manipulated because we're sinners. Uh, our self-love makes us especially susceptible susceptible to the hatred of others who threaten our self-control, our, our self-concern. And Jesus' disciples 
were sinners as well. They had been taught to hate the Samaritans and think of them as nothing more than apostates. So look at verse 54. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And I love how Luke frames Jesus' response in verse 55. He turned to them and rebuked them. Short, to the point, no elaboration. See, Jesus had already instructed them on how foolish it was to retaliate because he had already told them how to respond to rejection. At the beginning of chapter 9, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet, go to the next town. Uh, In Luke chapter 6, a sermon on the plain, uh, he gave a lengthy teaching on how we are to respond to rejection or how we are to respond to those who oppose us, how we are to respond to those who hate us. So let me remind you what Jesus said because I think it will help us, help inform us how we are to respond to those who hate us. This is a little lengthier passage, Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. Jesus said to you, said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes your good, takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And, it, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But you love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind To the ungrateful and the evil, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Let me be clear. Jesus is not telling us that we cannot protect ourselves. When we went over this in Luke chapter 6, I I labored uh, to make that clear. He is telling us, rather, that we may not retaliate in seeking vengeance. Instead of retaliation, we are to seek to win over those who reject us, those who hate us. We are, seek, we are to seek to win them over by loving them well. The more they hate you, the more love you are likely going to have to show in order to win them over. It might take one mile. It might take two miles. But you go with them. To show them the love of Christ. You know, we often redefine love as doing the bare minimum for another person. Then we can quietly move on with our, with our conscience uh, soothed over. But Jesus is calling us to a higher standard of love. Given the tensions and divisions that are happening in our country, our nation needs the church to stand up and express this kind of love very desperately. There's a lot of calls for action right now. You know, the church must be doing something. Frankly, 
the church should be doing something, but many of the calls to action I've seen are driven more by the world's agenda and amount to nothing more than what it appears to me worthless virtue signaling. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The hatred that exists in the human heart, that's the heart of the problem. But we are told to aim at the emotions or aim at societal change instead of the heart. And if we're aiming at the wrong target, we accomplish exactly nothing. Uh, Maybe we might feel better about ourselves. Now, compared to the ostentatious virtue signaling, our response might seem benign. The virtue signaling videos that you can see on Twitter or Facebook, well, those look impressive. Um, But the target is the heart because that is where the the hatred is generated and is nurtured. Nothing short of the all-powerful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is needed um, at this moment in our nation's history. The world needs to hear that we are sinners, that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save sinners, that He came to die on the cross for people who hated Him in order that He might give us eternal life, in order that He might uh, forgive our sins, in order that He might give us a relationship with the Father. The world needs to hear the message of grace right now that only the gospel provides. The gospel is our only hope, but the gospel is a real hope. So if we at Westminster Presbyterian Church are going to meaningfully address the racial uh, divisions and tensions in our society, we need to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be obedient to, to His call to love our neighbor, to love even our enemy. Maybe we need to figure out a way to proclaim Christ to those areas of our community that feel wronged. Maybe we could support an evangelist to go full-time into a community like College Hill. And maybe we could go into the jails as well, send him into the jails three times a week. Maybe we could help, help him fill his baskets of love. Or we could participate in his... And I always cringe every time I say it, his prostitutes and pimps outreach. You know, um, Jimbo didn't know I was going to put him in the spotlight this morning. He was telling me recently that uh, he does not feel as if he is gifted as a visionary. Brother, you've positioned yourself right on the edge right on the cutting edge of what our nation needs more than anything right now, right? It is our joy to come alongside you, Jimbo. Your ministry is is helping us and enabling us as a congregation to embody the love of Christ that our nation needs so desperately. Our Lord Jesus is going to win the world to himself. Make no mistake about it. Listen to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. 
It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. How is Jesus doing this? He's doing it through his church. He will accomplish it through the faithful proclamation of his powerful gospel as we love the lost as our Lord Jesus loved us. Let's pray together. Father, we tremble as we read this passage because we see ourselves in the response or the reaction of, of James and John. Lord, they, they were sons of thunder, but yet we now know uh, this same John as the apostle of love. Lord, I ask that you transform us more and more into loving people. Lord, help us not to get caught up uh, so in the the disputes and divisions of our nation that we begin hating our neighbor, hating people on the other side of a political aisle, hating those uh, in a different uh, community or of a, a different race. Lord, help us to, to love our Lord Jesus. Help us to hate our sin and our self-love. Help us to love our neighbor as ourself. We ask these things. In his beautiful name, amen.